is international. Kia ora. Lovely to have your company. Sue Kedgley and David Farrer joining me this afternoon. Uh, a lot of response here. I'm 24. My friends and I often begin our phone calls by saying, look, it's not an emergency because receiving a call automatically makes us think something is wrong, as I think Rob Kelly said. Uh, don't need a garage for EVs. Ours has been outside for two years. Outdoor plug installed was all we needed to um, get an EV, says Peter. Um, if you have an EV but live in an area where everyone has no choice but to park on the street, how do you get it charged, particularly if you take public transport to work, asked Jenny. Another one here, can you ask David how much his power bill is now compared with what he was paying before having his EV car? Uh, me and many others would like to know the cost. Thank you. I think you mentioned that, didn't you, David? Yeah, around $500 more a year. So you're talking you know, $40 a month. Uh, and we were probably doing $100 in petrol every two weeks. Gosh, all right. A bit of, it is a bit of a saving, isn't it? Um, and another one here. Sue, I'm with you regarding aged care clinician. My dad is in hospital level care at a rest home. They are so short-staffed. Dad was left on the toilet for one hour last week as they couldn't get around to hoisting him off. They are always run off their feet. They are underpaid, understaffed, and they're overworked, and the elderly, they suffer. Says yeah, yeah. Anna in Wellington. So, kia ora, Anna. Cash says Richard is a soulless gift. I can look at some wedding gifts from 30 years ago and associate them with the person, oftentimes since deceased. That's a lovely thought, Richard. Thank you for that. First up on the program, the National Median House jumped $200,000 in one year. Yes, you heard that correct. 200k one year. According to the May update from the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand, the median national price rose 25% uh, to $820,000. In Auckland, the median price rose 27% to a record $1.15 million from 905 k last year. So, for more on this, we're joined by this um, Real Estate Institute of NZ acting CEO, Wendy Alexander. Wendy, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Well, needless to say, there's no sign of slowing uh, down prices, is there? There really isn't. It's, it's just a very interesting reflection looking at these numbers. And one of the staggering things for me was that across the whole of New Zealand, uh, less than 15% of the properties that were sold were under 500,000. I, I mean, if you just look at the first-time buyers, and the lack of stock, how do you get off the mark? Now, just looking at the lack of stock, uh, a figure had jumped out at me, which I thought was a little bit, um, well, I was going to ask you whether it was true or not, but apparently in May there were less than 15,000, that is 15,000 properties available for sale across the whole country. Is that right? it's absolutely correct. There's nothing. 15,000. That's absolutely nothing. And and bear in mind also that those properties are selling. The median number of days on the market is less than 30. It is fiercely competitive. Everything we are saying is correct. Take care. Do, do your due diligence. But with the speed of the market, the fierce competition for so few listings, it's incredibly difficult to get all of the pieces right. And can I just clarify, the 15,000, there are 15,000 homes for sale across Aotearoa. That includes Auckland? Including Auckland. Good Lord. Uh, let's jump into our panel. Sue, what do you think? Well, it's tragic, isn't it? I mean, but what are we going to do about it? Well, We're short of houses, we're short of bus drivers, we're, you know, I mean... 
they know they're trying frantically trying to build houses, but then of course we're short of builders, mm. so um, we seem to be short all around. Uh, David. Well, it's very clear, I think, Wallace, this is a supply-side problem. You just talked about there's only 15,000. Governments of both stripes have tended to focus too much on the demand side, and some of it's even backfired. There's two policies I think could make a difference. One was Labor's, one was Nationals. Labor in 2017 said they would abolish the Auckland rural urban boundary. Um, And you need to do that not just in Auckland. You need to tell councils you must free up enough land so you've got land for the next 20 years of housing and that would make a huge difference Urban sprawl and and productive land? Of course there's a downside but you can't have 40% increases in house prices, that has to be uh, the thing, of course you should build up too, but you can't just build up, you have to build out and up otherwise you're going to have houses no one can buy The other policy I like that National came out with based on research from the New Zealand Initiative was to pay councils to consent $50,000 per house they consent above the average because councils do not have an incentive to do more housing because it costs them money and they don't actually get much from it. So I think those two policies, one from Labour, one from National, if implemented, would help. Graham says house prices are killing the country. Both my children said they will not have children and are leaving for Australia. And I guess this is it, isn't it, Wendy? This is really, uh, you know, whilst it might be fine for those who are lucky enough to have a house, there are, what, half of half of us uh, rent, I, I do believe. Uh, this, this, this must be corrected somehow in some form. Yeah, and consider also that some of the policies that have been implemented are not necessarily going to create the opportunities that might have been intended. For example, the Brightline test, the extension of that, I believe that the investors are probably just going to hold on longer. Why would you not when the value of your properties is going up exponentially each year? And the second thing with the reduction, with the the interest deductions um, for the investor buyers, uh, this may influence them to put their properties on the market and to sell. But what does that do with regard to the volume of properties that are available for people who have to or choose to rent? It reduces the number. Mm. Uh, I've got a question for you, and this is the issue of tenders. Closed tenders has been something of a, a talking point as well. What does the Rian spokesperson uh, think of closed tenders increasing house prices, asks Emily? I think I think it's an, an interesting strategy. Without a doubt, I mean, just look at the figures at the moment. Tenders will always be an option in some circumstances, often exceptional. The flavour of the month, without a doubt, is options. Just look at the figures at the moment. In Auckland, just under 45% of all of the properties sold in May were sold by auction. Go to Gisborne. We're just not talking the big centres here. Gisborne. And look at where the greatest increases in values are, not just Auckland, certainly, as you said, right up to 1.1.48 million. Taranaki, Tasman, Canterbury, it's across the country. All right. Uh, The CEO, uh, acting CEO of the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand, Wendy uh, Alexander, thank you for your time, Wendy Kiara. Uh, And so you sounded like you have uh, particular issues with uh, David's David's vision of building uh, not just up but also very much out. You you wouldn't want to see, say, for for example, the likes of Auckland uh, extending on to Kirikiriroa? 
Hamilton. And also uh, onto productive land like Pukekohe, etc. Mm. So, um, you know, it's 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 an unbelievably difficult issue. But immigration is dropping drastically in the last year, so that's presumably going to sort of have some effect. Also, aren't banks starting to raise interest rates? I think ASB, etc. And, you know, maybe it's take, going to take a bit of time for the government measures to have an effect. So we can only hope that uh, somehow we're going to turn the tide here. David? The challenge is that you used to have an aim where if you can just slow it down to 2 3%, that's enough. But the challenge now is have they got so high that even stabilising them is still going to make them out of touch for first-home buyers? So do we actually need prices to drop and drop possibly massively. The trouble is you do that and then interest rates go up, you'll have mum and dads who will lose their houses. So it could turn very nasty. Would you would you folk would you both before we move on, would you would both of you folk be happy to see a twenty percent drop in houses overall, Sue? Uh, yes I would be. David? Uh I own a home. Yeah. I can't say I'd be delighted to wake up and find it's worth 20% less. Not that I'm planning to sell it any time in the next 20 years. It's still worth a lot of, a lot of money, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but you feel a bit better about your very large mortgage when you've got an asset that's increasing faster than your mortgage. Um, if you suddenly have your house drop to $100,000, your um, interest payments just seem that much higher. Okay. And one of the problems is that you know we're, everyone's focused on inflation and the governor of the Reserve Bank, but house prices aren't included in the parcel of things that uh, contribute to inflation. So we've got this incredible inflationary uh, pressures in the housing market not being taken into account with people's wages. Hmm. 18 past four, you're on the panel, RNZ National, David Farrer and Sue Kedgley with me uh, this afternoon. Uh, Council says John and Dunedin are already required to show there is enough land for housing for the next 10 years. This will only meet demand, meaning prices will stay the same. They should be providing more land uh, than is needed to bring prices down, as happened in Christchurch, is uh, John's point of view. Someone else simply uh, texted, we're doomed. Well... (laughs) Let's see what happens. Now, Were they called Marvin, that person? <laughs> <laughs> um, relationship scams are becoming more sophisticated, with many scammers taking months to build trust and form a legitimate online relationship before asking for money. Now, NetSafe's latest report shows 2,875 online scams were reported by New Zealanders in the first quarter of 2021. Total reported scam losses were 5.3 million, up 21% on the December 2020 quarter. And according to online safety company NetSafe, scammers have moved on from eliciting money using stories that pull on the heartstrings, like illness or needing money to leave their country. So what are the new scamming lines? With us is the CEO of NetSafe, Martin, uh, Martin Koka. Kia ora, Martin. Kia ora, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Does scamming go in trends or waves? Oh, it definitely evolves, yeah. uh, and we see, we see scams become much more popular with the cyber criminals, uh, and that's the thing at the moment. We're seeing uh, a blended, a combination of, sort of more traditional romance scams to get somebody into a relationship and then uh, investment scams 
sort of layered on top of that. So rather than saying, now that we've fallen in love, I'm, I'm oversimplifying, obviously, yeah. but rather than saying, I've fallen in love uh, and I'm jammed up in hospital or I need some money to travel, which people have sort of cottoned on to as a classic scamming move, the uh, scammer says, I've found this great investment. Give me a little bit of money. I'll put it in the investment. You'll see how well it does. And then that's what happens. You give them a little bit of money. You get lots of information that the, scam, the investment's doing very well. Uh, and then you're tempted to put more and more money in until you realise that it is indeed a scam. And just to complicate it slightly more before yeah. um, Chris go to questions, often the scams are based around cryptocurrency, and that's because nobody really understands cryptocurrencies, and so we never really know if what we're seeing is what we should be seeing when we're getting information about how our investment in cryptocurrency is going. Amazing. How interesting. So this year's biggest romance scam has cost one lucky, unlucky New Zealand rather, uh, $578,000, 862 um, cents. Oh, sorry, uh, five, five, $578,000. Are romance scams on the rise? Yeah, th- well, that's something that we've certainly seen in terms of what's being reported to us. Uh, we're seeing more and more of the scams that are reported, the big losses that are reported, being tied to these uh, romantic um, beginnings, so developing a romantic relationship. And then, as I say, going off in a sort of a different direction into what was the traditional other money scam, which was investment. Sue Kesley, what are your thoughts or questions on this topic? Well, uh, I'm, you know, showing my age here, but uh, it's all incomprehensible to me. Why would you um, loan you know, thousands of dollars to someone you've never seen. It also shows if you could, you know, if you picked up the phone and talked to people and met them rather than trying to conduct a technology uh, relationship, that might help. But why are we so naive as to lend money to someone that we've never seen or met? Really good question. Martin? (laughs) So I I hesitate to say naive. In fact, I don't like to use the term naive. Mm. Because we do see some pretty sophisticated, you know, investors get drawn into investment scams. It's really important to know that scammers develop really deep profiles of people that, that, that you will engage with somebody online for six months, see lots of different content, see lots of information that's cross-referencing and making it, you know, seem that's entirely believable before the scammer even asks for money. And here's another trick that the scammer is using at the moment. They'll sometimes give you the first payment back. So you give them some money for something and they say it's a loan and then they pay it back to you to build even more trust before asking for the kind of money that Gosh. Uh, the big money that goes into scams. So, yeah. you know, they are really getting a lot more sophisticated. We are used to developing relationships online, business and personal relationships online. And, you know, scammers take advantage of that. David? What Mahan said was an example I was going to do. I've heard of ones where, in fact, they even sometimes pay you out the dividend. You might lend them 500 and they give you 700 And then it's a bit like a, a, a non, you know, other scammers do this too, of course. Um, the ones who go, go to prison owing billions of dollars um, did that. And that buys trust, does it? it? It does. But I think they're still, you know, if you've never met someone, you know, it has to be never send money to someone you've met. And even if, you know, you've had $500 return, you just have to hope that people can set off their warning bells when it goes from a few hundred dollars to thousands and thousands. Hmm. I, I mean, I, I, to, to Sue's point as well, Martin, I understand that it is quite common for scammers to put in some real quality time into emulating 
a genuine relationship, which in fact can take months. Yeah, I mean, certainly with romance scams, the period that people report to us having engaged in a, in a relationship before talking about money is often around about six months, and certainly we've seen it as long as a year. So, you know, scammers are running you know, a, a whole lot of potential targets, uh, and they are building these relationships over time. And it's worth it to them because scams are 100% profit margin. The average scam loss for trust, romance and trust is $26,000. So, you know, you can put a lot of time into something when that's your margin, $26,000. So finally, just a couple of tips. What can you do for those listeners out there to to protect your money? I think, well, don't give it to other people. I mean, the the key thing is when it's time time that somebody asks you for the money, regardless of how long you've been in a relationship, regardless of what you've been told, you need to do some independent research. And that independent research will often set off alarm bells. I know how hard that is after you've been in a relationship with someone for six months, but still, that's what has to happen. Uh, you know, understanding a little bit more about scams. I mean, obviously, people have just heard the kind of things we're talking about today. There'll be people who are listening and thinking, hang on a minute, that could be me. So the more yeah. you understand about how scams work, the more likely you'll pick up on those uh, little cues and tells along the way that you're getting drawn into a scam. Right, uh, the CEO of NetSafe, Martin Cocker. Again, thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Uh, 25 past four. Uh, a lot of um, feedback on housing, so we'll try and stick some of that in uh, during the program here on the panel RNZ National. Uh, to this, so uh, first, a pointless after-hours emails need to go, writes Polita Clark in the Financial Times, and that a draining... Always on work culture was a problem before the pandemic and has worsened considerably since, said Jennifer Moss, a US workplace expert in the Harvard Business Review, citing a correspondent. As a respondent said to her, emails start at 5.30am and don't end until 10pm because they know you have nowhere else to go. For single people with, fa- with no families, it's worse because you don't get to say... I need to take care of my kids. So I thought I'd go on the panel on this one. How do you deal with this, David? Is it ever a problem or do you have a handle on it? No, I think I'd go a handle on it. Partly it's been becoming apparent where I used to, all my spare time, I'd be responding to emails, uh, do that. But now, well, I will have the odd check. Uh, Saturday, Sundays, because you know kids aren't in daycare, they're full-time at home, so I've actually managed to train myself up that, you know, um, leave it until Monday. Um, if it's urgent, you know, people will phone, we talked about that before, text you, etc. Um, and I don't think, I don't get out of office replies much now. I, I just don't think people expect uh, that, you know, you need to do them now. Hmm. It used to be when we had letters, you know, you'd send a letter, it'd take a few days in the post, and then you'd be in expectation, you'd sort of respond in a few days or a week. But now there seems to be this expectation with emails that you'll respond immediately or in five minutes. Yes. I think that's part of the problem. Mm. Um, And, yes, we we do need a culture change to sort of, what do they call it? I think in Ireland they've got a 
code of the, the right to disconnect. That's right. You'd hope that we could just, um, that we didn't need a code of conduct. Okay, so, could... well, uh, so on that, around the panel, would you, because uh, uh, the Ireland is doing, I think uh, there are a few other countries doing this as well, uh, built into whether it be legislation or some sort of regulatory, regulatory mechanism. Uh, actually, in Victoria, firefighters in Victoria, Australia have won the right to disconnect. Would you, is it something that David Farrah, you'd like to have done here? No, like I think some common sense and, you know, working between employers and employees, etc. It's quite common that, you know, I know some places where um, if they don't supply you with a work phone, then there's no expectation that you'll be available after hours. But there's certain jobs where you do have to be available. So of trying course, to legislate but, but it, it. But it makes it nice and clear, that, doesn't it? If you have in your contract, uh, there is a right to disconnect clause. So you're not going to get the email after seven o'clock. Fair enough. I just think it'd be a bit sad if you're in an employment situation where you have to put that in the contract. What do you reckon, Sue? Um, well, yeah, I'd like to think it would be uh, a culture change, but we do have in New Zealand an incredibly long working hours culture, and so it is problematic. It's especially problematic for women who um, still surveys show do sort of two-thirds of the care in the home and the notwithstanding David is obviously uh, very uh, hands-on with his children. But um, most women are, are trying to you know, look after the run, the, look after the caregiving, the home, and then have to do uh, you know, extra emails as well. So we do need to um, change our culture, our long working hours culture. Okay. Interesting email just comes through about scamming. My mother was the victim of a romantic scam. It happened over the last six months and cost $30,000. And counting, she also sent two payments of five thousand dollars to America, and both were returned. After that, the funeral expenses for a friend and for a dying daughter in hospital with cancer followed. So on it went, on and on. The distressing part was that we want our mother over four months. We warned our mother over four months ago that scammers like to play the long game, and she was likely to be being scammed, even though she had fallen in love with the scammer. Of course, the scam was just a photograph of a well-known USA baseball player. We could not convince her until the flack hit the fan. So I appreciate your uh, correspondence this afternoon. You're on the panel, RNZ National.